Geekville Radio. Hello once again, ladies and gentlemen, geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio. And, uh, well, we've at the halfway point now, in case anybody has perused our site at Geekville Radio or our social media at Geekville Radio, we've kind of been a little bit obsessed with Crisis on Infinite Earths, and if you're not familiar with that, you've probably like been living in the antimatter universe or something. It's been something we've been looking forward to for a year. We did our last show, the crash course in Crisis on Infinite Earths, and now the CW Arrowverse is halfway through its run. And fortunately, once again, I don't have to talk about it alone. Joining me from the nice soft padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I guess you're more, you're almost more excited than this about me, which is odd because I'm supposed to be the DC guy. You're the Marvel guy. I don't want something about <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll, we'll definitely get into the stuff that, that I liked about it. But since we're talking about a show that has aired this week, I uh, will get the spoiler tag out of the way. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler hole has been breached. Spoiler hole has been breached. CW has promised five episodes, and we got three this week with two more on the way in January. Now, I guess the first thing that can be said is if you've read the comics, you know the obvious differences, and really, I, it you can't really expect a, a direct adaption of a 30-year-old comic just with the differences in technology and such, but I think they've done a good job of overall grabbing the vibe, especially when you consider who they have access to. And I really think overall, with the promised cameos, most of them delivered. Now, I'm sure there's stuff with that we probably were a little disappointed with, but overall, as far as the feel of Crisis and uh, how all the characters are being used, I mean, are, are, are you happy with it as I am, Train? I'm, yeah, I'm trying to temper some of my displeasure with with the knowledge of what you said, that they only have so many toys in the toy box they can play with because, you know, of Warner Brothers and, and DC and what they're going to allow and not allow, combined with the fact that, you know, it, it, like you said, it's 30 years old, things have changed. And I also have watched the shows, so I know the timbre of, of the shows themselves and what the CW does with the DC properties. So if I expected something different, then I would be only fooling myself. Because right. you just know what the CW is going to do. Either you like it or you don't like it, you know. And, uh, you know, to use an old wrestling analogy that Jim Ross used to use about him and Vince McMahon, uh, they both like pro wrestling. And pro wrestling's like ice cream. Uh, you might like vanilla and the other guy might like chocolate, but you both like ice cream. And I think that's kind of how you have to approach it, you know. Right. It, it, it's, still, it's still live action, comic book based stories, which, you know, maybe not, maybe you like chocolate, maybe this is vanilla doesn't matter you're still kind of happy because it's still ice cream right yeah that 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 is a good analogy and also we knew that there weren't going to be certain characters in it now i think probably the biggest disappointment for me as far as characters and it's not even that it's a it's a great character uh as far as the comics go because he's kind of a third stringer but they did hint him last year i think they brought back the book of destiny gimmick 
because they weren't using Psycho Pirate. I don't know if it was because the actor wasn't available, but in the comics, Psycho Pirate is the one handling all the emotions and mind control. And I don't know if they just decided to make it the Book of Destiny to throw back, but... Did you have any thought about that, about the, the lack of well, Psycho Pirate? My, my thought is you've already teed it, so I think it's going to happen because we still have two more episodes. You know, mm-hmm. Just because we haven't seen him yet doesn't mean he's not going to show up. Um, and I'm trying to remember what show did he originally show up on last year's crossover. I want to say, say it was the Backdoor Batwoman pilot, wasn't it? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the Elseworlds last year was the, the, the tease for him, yeah. Because he was at the very – it was like it was like one of those post-credit scenes and he was locked up in Arkham, if I remember that, correct? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, we've already had the Batwoman uh, episode. You know, we've had Batwoman, Flash, and Supergirl. So we have mm-hmm. Arrow and Legend still, right? Those are the, right. the last two. So, you know, maybe he shows up in one of the other ones. I do think this season, this season is a little different than the other crossovers they've done before in the sense that usually, usually, uh, you can delineate uh, which character show it is. You know, I mean, it's like, it's obviously it's an overarching, but like the Arrow episode felt like an ep- a regular episode of Arrow, the way it was shot and you know heavier on like maybe fight scene, whereas mm-hmm. the Supergirl felt like a Supergirl. I don't know if that's necessarily true this time around. It seems a little bit more uh, fluid, you yeah. know. And, yeah, and, it's but- definitely being marketed as a five part miniseries TV show because it all they all have the same intro they're not doing the individual intros for right, right, like right. like they're each of the shows right well and i'm fine with that i mean i don't know if you had an yeah. opinion on yeah that yeah, I'm too. so yeah i mean i think that's 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 one of the things i found kind of interesting i i i still don't know i mean i i think i think psycho Pirate might show up and if he doesn't i wonder why because i mean the, the character does wear a mask you know i mean granted we don't know what he looks like because he, he puts he dons the mask at the in that post-credit scene last season in the last crossover, but he's, it's not like the fans are attached to him. You could recast the role. So I wonder if it's one of those things that these, that Warner brothers said, no, you can't play with that toy, you know, and why they would say that I have no idea, but who knows, you know, yeah, yeah. given some of the cameos we've been getting through this, yeah, you know, I'd be, I too would wonder if they couldn't use them, you know, why the heck? I mean, they got in the third episode, they actually got Lucifer from the TV show. Now, we right. had heard that, that 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 was probably going to happen, and uh-huh. uh, but I mean, if they're going to get somebody like that, I don't get why they wouldn't be able to get somebody like Psycho Pirate. And, and, and as far as that one goes, uh, oh, what is the actor's name? Tom something or other, British actor who plays Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think he was one of those that had posted a picture on Twitter of him with Matt Ryan. You know, so it's like we knew it was coming. Right. Just like, just like I, I think that was meant to be a surprise. Oops. <laughs> right. I, like I know the, the you know Cre- you know Cress Williams as as Jefferson Black Lightning would that be a surprise and he posted on his Twitter you know a shot with him and Stephen Amell oops <laughs> right uh, right uh, Tom Ellis is the the actor who's, Tom, yeah, who's Tom Lucifer Ellis. yeah Tom there's too many Toms Tom Welling Tom Ellis Tom Meissen they all <laughs> run together for me Tom yeah. Meissen played God Crane in the Fox Sleepy Hollow show you know right. um, all of them are pretty easy on the eyes for the ladies that's, that's all I know so it seems like all the women like all three and so. Speaking of cameos, I thought, you know, Tom Welling's cameo was an example of a little bit more on what was promised. You know, I thought, you know, it was obvious from the set to bring him back to actors to play, you know, Lois and that to bring him back. Tom, that was the Smallville. That Earth was the Smallville, you know. Right. Right. Especially since uh, the 
original plan, I, if I understand it right, I don't know if it's a cover story or not, and mm-hmm. even if it is, it's it's a good one. Uh-huh. Uh, there had been talk that the reason why the first season of Supergirl didn't have Superman in it that much was because they were trying to get Tom Welling, not not as a regular, but, you know, it was just a recurring every now and then he would show up, and uh-huh. that would be the continuity is this uh-huh. is a, uh, conti- you know, uh, continuation of Smallville, basically. Right, right. And then when they couldn't get that, that's when they, they cast uh, Tyler Hoechlin. And yeah. well, I did is- hear because uh, we, you know I was not the biggest Smallville fan when it when it came out when it when it was out because you know I wanted Superman and I I don't want to uh, annoy people with that, that uh, opinion again just because everybody that knows me knows why I didn't watch it. But uh, it's I was hearing from friends and family that watched. Smallville, but that was a perfect like epilogue to Smallville because, of course, in this Earth, Clark gave up being Superman because he just wanted to go and have a life with Lois and have a family. And that is something that is key to Superman. That's what they got in the first episode. It's it's one of those things that when you look at the stories being told between the Superman we had, the Superman, you know, with Kingdom Come, and then with Tom Welling, you know, uh, Superman, uh, Earth 38 Superman, he cut that promo early on saying, all I wanted was a, a life with Lois and I can't have that. So right. he just goes back to being Superman because he knows he has to. And I thought the delivery of that, that speech, I thought it's like, okay, the, you know, this is Superman. This is, this is why he does what he does. So to give Tom Welling's Clark Kent that happy ending, it, it just, it's just—it's one of those things in the face of all these bad things that were happening to these characters. You know, obviously, we're probably going to talk about Batman next, but uh, it was nice to see one of the cameos have a happy ending. You know, did, uh, am right. I making sense with that? Yeah, yeah. And I thought that if you understand the history of the character of Superman, the concept and idea that he he wants to have a family and 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 be a father and all that totally fits. You know, and so we got that doubly. We got that with the Earth 38, you know, Tyler Hecklin, uh, Superman. We got that, or Tripoli, actually. We got it with the Earth, uh, what was, what was Brandon Rouse Earth? The, uh, 96, the, yeah, because of the, yeah. the, the King to Come reference, yeah. Right, right, yeah, 96. And then, and then Tom Wellings was like 168 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I didn't, I didn't get any reference there as far as 167, but. No, yeah. no, I didn't either. I didn't either. Maybe we had 167 episodes. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was on for what about six years, wasn't it? I think Seven it was years? ten years, so it probably had over two hundred episodes, unless yeah. some seasons were shorter. Right, right. So you know, yeah, I thought that was was well was well done. It was probably my favorite cameo of all the cameos uh, outside of Lucifer. And for what it's worth, Tom Welling, the actor, plays a role in the Lucifer television show. Mm-hmm. I know you don't follow that, and I do. He actually plays Cain, like I said, Cain and Abel from. Okay. <laughs> And the reason he's still alive is, you know, if you know your biblical references, Cain Mark was Cain. cursed with a yeah, mm-hmm. car skirt was marked with wanderlust, you know, and so yeah, uh, it was kind of cool to see. It was kind of cool when he showed up, and I think it was in three of them to see a guy who, an actor who's already associated with a DC property, playing another character in another DC property, you know. So right, you know, it was kind of cool, and it was also a bit of a bit of a bad guy for him and. Tom Welling, besides playing Superman, just looks like a, a babyface, doesn't he? He's oh yeah, good looking yeah, guy. Yeah, I remember watching that that cameo where, where I think they were making it a point to try to keep Tyler 
away from Tom because you could clearly dude. see, yeah, Tom Welling was dwarfing him. So was Brandon mm-hmm. Routh, quite frankly. But Yeah, he no. was. Oh, I mean, I think both of them are around 6'3", six, 6'4", six, both those actors. They're yeah. big guys. And, uh, I mean, not that Tyler Hecklin's a small guy, but he is smaller than, you know. Right. And, and I just thought that was kind of cool to see. I mean, I love to see a guy who's known for playing good guys play bad guys. Yeah. But just on first look, Tom Welling, he's like you like you say about Mike Coulter as Luke Cage. He walks on a screen, you're all supposed to cheer for that guy. Yeah, just yeah it's, that it's look, what we you know? call the white meat baby face, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's automatically. Exactly. You, know? you all like, go, this is the guy I'm supposed to cheer for. He's a good guy. You know, so um other some of the some of the cameos that disappointed me, I think, were the ones at the very beginning of the first episode. Now yeah, look, I'm like, not expecting mm-hmm. Burt Burt Ward. He's eighty something years old. No one is expecting him to don the tights, you know, and do a fight scene, even if they did interlace the pals and bams and stuff in it like, you know, but I thought other than giving him the cheesy line, which was nice because I mean, those that don't know, because they're probably younger people that don't know. Robin didn't always say, holy, whatever. Burt Ward's take on the character and the way that character was written in that. That's where that that trope came from. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it came from the show. uh, It didn't uh, come from the comics. Right. The, the whole trope of, of the Dick Grayson version of Robin saying, holy whatever, Batman. Yeah. That was the way that show, that was part of the camp of, you know, and, and to his credit, Burt Ward delivered it great. And, and, and one of the things I'll add to that about the show, because what a lot of people do not realize about the 60s Batman show is it was not ever meant to be a straight adaption. It was meant to be campy. It was written to be that way because it was kind of the comedic version of Superman because the Superman show from the 50s and 60s, you know, the old uh, George Reeves, that was meant to be dramatic for its time, whereas Batman, it was almost kind of like the actors kind of wink and nod at the camera every now and then. So the cheesy lines were just part of why why the show had its appeal. And I think it's what uh, inspired Joel Schumacher. I know I'm sounding like I'm defending Joel Schumacher when I'm really not. It's just when you realize Joel Schumacher was inspired by the Adam West series rather than the comics when he made Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, it's like it, you, you understand a little bit now. more of why they look and sound the way they do. Right, right. I mean, for more on that take on, on the campiness of that, go back and listen to our sister podcast, uh, the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame, and refer to the Green Hornet episode yes. where we inducted the Green Hornet because the television show was uh, Green Hornet was done by William Dozier, who also did Batman, and how those two universes kind of overlap. Um, and you'll understand. We go into really into depth about camp as an art form in that time period. So mm-hmm. anyway. But, but yeah, uh, back to know, Crisis. Yeah, but, and it was, but it was cool to see Robert Wall as Alexander Knox, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did like I did like the, the fan service where the earth they were on had a direct tie to whatever the character was. The Burt War was or 66 because right. that's what we fans refer to that version of Batman as Batman 66. As a matter of fact, in the comics now there is a Elseworlds called Batman 66 which is supposed to be the Adam West Burt Ward Batman and Robin. You know, it's, it's written and right. drawn in that style. Uh and then the the Alexander Knox Earth 89 because of course the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton, mm-hmm. Robert Wool, Jack Nicholson, Kim Basie, that Batman came out in 89. Uh, of course Lucifer uh when 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 Constantine and and them go to visit him. He's on Earth six six six. Kind of cute, you know. Right. So I mean, I thought those were nice little fanboy services. What did you think about that kind of stuff? Yeah, I the, the most of those you you could tell if you know the history. Like I said, the the one six seven for uh, 
Smallville, I didn't get the the seventy four. I don't know if there was a connection for that with uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Rory's ship, but right. like the the you know the Earth ninety six being the Kingdom Come Earth. That's because Kingdom mm-hmm. Come was released in in nineteen ninety six, right? And uh, the evil Bruce Wayne in Earth ninety nine is because Batman Beyond came out in nineteen ninety nine, and that's that's the right. reference there. Right, exactly. Um, I- uh, as far as uh, just to wrap up on the thoughts on cameos, two things, because I'm sure we're going to go into depth in the Kevin Conroy back because it was the most extended of all the cameos. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the interplay between Matt, Matt Ryan as John Constantine or Constantine and Tom Ellis as Lucifer Morningstar was perfect. It's my favorite scene so far, because mm-hmm. if oh, you yeah. read the if you read the Hellblazer comics, which is the title that John Constantine is a star of, that is exactly how they talk to each other in the comics. Mm-hmm. And I've all I've, I've openly said many times that that you know Matt Ryan not only in look but in just how he plays the character nails Constantine he does yeah. you know much much more so than any other depiction I've ever seen so much so that when they do, when they had the animated version of him in uh, Justice League Dark in the DC the animated universe they had him voice the character right and, and I believe so, the uh extended animated universe shows he he is Constantine in those too so right right you know. so and I've said outside of the fact he has dark hair because in the comics he has blonde hair Tom Ellis is perfect as Lucifer Morningstar he plays right. him exactly the way he's written and drawn in the comics you yeah. know so yeah. I I had never seen an uh, an episode of Lucifer but I mean I knew who he was and I knew the the cameo was coming. Mm-hmm. But when he came out and, you know, just five seconds after seeing him in character, it's like, okay, I, I get why people like this character because he's got that, oh, oh, I'm your friend, but you look in the eyes and you look in that grin and yeah. you're like, uh, you're evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> I'm grabbing, I'm grabbing the Bible and the spike, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't see it and you did not see it in, in this cameo, but on the show, they show it. He can reveal his true form, you know? And his human guise goes away, and he looks very demonic. He's uh, bright red, looks like almost like burn scars, like a Freddy Krueger, you know, um, with with like yellow glowing eyes. And I'm assuming he has like a charm factor because it looked like yes, Mia was, was gonna, affected by him. I was going to explain yeah. that. Okay. You remember when he asked uh, Mia, Oliver's daughter, "What do you desire?" That is emphasized in the television show Lucifer as his main power is he. That's how that's how he's the master of temptation. Is he can get anybody to to tell them what their deepest desire is and it kind of blew up in his face because mm-hmm. her deepest desire was the whole reason they were there to begin with which was to try to, to bring oliver back uh you know his soul back from purgatory so yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. but the interplay you can see it uh, i mean in that scene like you said lucifer is extremely good looking and charming but there's that there's there's something that's off-putting about him at the same time you know and, and you get that the interplay between him and Constantine is very playful, but also deadly serious at the same time. You can catch that undertone, you know, mm-hmm. it's like these guys have matched wits before, you know, and they respect each other, but they don't trust each other, you know, <laughs> and that was very, very well done. Um, I would be interested to know who wrote that scene because they obviously are fans of the Hellblazer comics because <laughs> they really got it. Uh, probably also read some of the Sandman because both of them show up in some Sandman stories as well. Yeah, I believe Lucifer made his debut in the in the Sandman comics by Neil Gaiman. Right, not not the original Wesley Dodd Sandman. I'm talking, you know, the Neil Gaiman, exactly. So, um, 
anyway, one of the, you know, on the show, a lot of people call him Louie. Uh, he, of course, referred to Diggle, said Diggle reminded him of his brother. He's speaking of, of an archangel named, named Aminadil, who in both the comics and the television show is portrayed as a very large, good-looking black man, muscular, you know? Yeah. So Diggle fits that role. You know, Diggle fits that, that bill, I understand. And, and, and Aminadil calls him Lucy, so, you know, instead of Lucifer. And um, I thought it was great he called him Constantine. Because if you read the Hellblazer comic books, that is actually the pro- pro- correct pronunciation of John's last name. Uh, because you got to remember, it's British. And, um, but Americans always call him Constantine because I think we relate it to, you know, Constantinople and that. Uh, so it was kind of, in fact, Constantine is very cool in the fact that he's one of the few characters outside of Deadpool I can think of in comics that realizes he's in a comic book. He totally mm-hmm. breaks the fourth wall all the time. And there is a, there is a reference in one story early in the, the Hellblazer, like, you know, like 96, 97, somewhere in there, where he tells, I think it's Zatara or, or, or maybe it's Zatanna, one of the two of them. He's explaining to them that, yeah, he's explaining the multiverse and he explains that they're like, so there's a whole bunch of me and you. He's like, yeah, all over the place. As a matter of fact, there's one Earth where I have dark hair. I look like a surfer and they pronounce my name constantly. Of course, he's referring mm-hmm. to the Keanu Reeves movie version, right? Which I thought was a nice little wink, wink, nod, nod, you know? Right. Um, so any, I, I think that he doesn't do it as much as, as Deadpool, nor for the comedic effect that Deadpool does it, but Constantine does break the fourth wall sometimes. So that, that scene I love. Then the other elephant in the room would be, of course, the big, the, the other real, I think the biggest of the, of the, of all the cameos would be the Kevin Conroy. Right. What was your take on that cameo? Well, I, I was a little disappointed that we weren't getting straight up either the Batman Beyond or the, uh, uh, Kingdom Come version, because we, you know, we saw a glimpse of that armor or exosuit or whatever you want to call it. And I get right. that by making it a different Earth, they can get away with, okay, well, in this Earth, Batman's a villain. And they probably just did it because they it, – it's become clear. A lot of these cameos, they're either around just long enough to die or to go on their – their merry way, so to speak. There's their self-contained right. cameos. They're not going to stick around for the rest of the story. So right. I think that's probably why they went that route, because I think if they tried to truly do the Kingdom Come Batman, like we talked about in the last uh, show about this, where you know he's got his army of bat bots and he's basically got Gotham City as like this uh, police state. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I think people might get distracted and want to see more of that that character and i think they wanted to make these cameos like in the smallville sense they want to give it that nice epilogue where where he goes on his way or in the batman sense they want to make it so you don't want to see this version come back and so i think that's why the kingdom come superman got the uh got to stick around a bit well obviously because brandon rouse already regular in a show but you know you, you just can't I think put the thought of Christopher Reeve in people's heads without getting that nostalgia factor and wanting people to see him stick around. And since there are two Supermans in the crisis comic book anyway, it, it makes sense. So you you think it all boils down to, they don't want to dangle that carrot. Right. Right. I, th- I think they, they decided to make it a evil Bruce Wayne because they were afraid of uh, wanting more of the, the, the kingdom come earth in you know you know in the show right. can i get on my soapbox now sure absolutely <laughs> um 
I hated this. And it, and I know people go, oh, shocker, because you're such a big fan of Kevin Conroy and you're mm-hmm. such a big fan of Batman. And you're right. That is that is true. And it's part of the reason I didn't like it. I think there's a completely different motivation. Of it, just my opinion. I, I don't know what it is. Um, and I am a I am a big bat time, Batman fan. Everyone who listens to our shows knows that. Um, I don't know. And it goes all the way back to Tim Burton in 1989. And every other, every other writer, director, producer of Batman, uh, you know, live action stuff since 89 have all been obsessed with trying to turn Batman into a killer. Right. They're like, they are obsessed with it. And I get, cause believe me, I talk to people, both comic book fans and non-comic book fans alike. I understand that I am in the minority of those who love the fact that Batman has no Right. Well, I, I'm, I'm there with you, so you're not alone. So you're, yeah, I know I'm not alone, but we, we are the minority, just based on conversations. So it, they're all, I mean, Tim Burton's Batman was a on mm-hmm. this we can agree, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, Christopher Nolan's probably the only one that didn't make his Batman a killer, but he, but he toyed with the idea. The ending right. of Batman begins where I don't have to say, I don't have to, I don't have to kill you, but I don't have to save you, which, okay. Let me say this. Let me get another, another soapbox on top of the soapbox I'm already in. <laughs> when you're dealing with Ra's al Ghul versus Batman, Batman will will do that simply because as long as Lazarus Pitts exists, he understands he's not really killing Ra's. He understands that, you know? And he will do all he can, I think, to avoid having to let him die. But if that's the only out, if that's the only out he has, he'll do it simply because he knows he's not killing him. Now, if it's a if it is an Earth in the multiverse where Batman, who is doing this and on almost all Earths, you know, finding and destroying all the remaining Lazarus pits, and it's on Earth where Bruce knows there are no more Lazarus pits, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't kill him or wouldn't even allow him to die. That's just who Batman is. Right. Um, all these um, years, and he hasn't killed the, the Joker yet. You know. Right. Right. I mean, the only other character I can think of that Batman actually kills, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes there, would be Solomon Grundy. Once again, because I think Batman realizes I'm not killing Solomon Grundy by pulling his heart out. All I'm doing is stopping this reanimation. He understands that Solomon Grundy is, you know, and mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, I can't. This is the only way to stop him. So I don't think he sees it as killing. I mean, I don't want to speak for, I mean, for what's going on through Bruce Wayne's mind, but I'm thinking what the writers are thinking, if that makes any sense, you know, and um, they just, and this to me seemed like just another example of, and I'm tired of hearing all the people that do all these TV shows and movies say, oh, we're fanboys. No, you're not. I'm not saying you're not. I'm not saying you're not a fan of Batman. What you're, what it appears to me and all the different takes we've had on that character from 89 with Tim Burton's to the day, and that includes just Batman alone, what, like three or four different live action versions, a multitude of, ca- of cartoon versions, you know, of just that character. You're a fan of a particular take on the character. You're not a particular fan. Of, you don't know the backstory. It seems like to me the way they present them, and then I could we could do a whole episode on um, common misconceptions about Batman in particular, but a lot of comic book characters that come solely from one particular uh, interpretation of the character that non comic book fans have seen or read and assume that's true about the character throughout their entire existence. You know. Right. And I think Batman is one of the most egregious of those. Superman falls in there. There's a lot. Of, Captain America has a lot of those. There's a lot of comic book. You know, it's like if you were to ask somebody today certain key issues about Tony Stark and Iron Man, know what they're going to give you is the Bible, the RDJ version from the MCU. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it's that's a bad take, 
but it is it is very different and missing key components from the comics. I mean, you're you're a Marvel guy. I'm sure you would agree with that, wouldn't you? Right, right. Yeah. I, I, the, I mean, Tony. Yeah, he has his ways, but you know, you, in many ways, Tony is kind of like. Uh, uh, well, I, I, Trump's probably not the best analogy, but somebody like that. He's a guy that we're not supposed to like as a person, but yet he's a hero, you know? Right. I, I mean, I, I guess one of the biggest ones, if you're comparing comics uh, to the the movies, and, and why I bring this example up is, and I'll, expert, I'll extrapolate out this work, Batman's. If you're a fan of the character from the comics, there are certain key components and, and elements of the that make the character Tony Stark work. And then there's also ones that are not in the comics, but they are presented in the movies and the MCU that make Tony Stark work as an engaging character. The biggest one to me is the relationship with, Pop, with Pepper Potts. In the comics, Pepper and Happy Hogan are together, not, right. not Tony. Tony is a womanizer pretty much throughout the entire run of all the comics. You know, Yeah, yeah Pepper's and, like and, family to him. Right, Pepper's like a sister, and, and, and Happy's like a brother. And so to, for them to be together, actually, he, he make, makes him happy, you know? Um, I think the relationship, you know, that they build between those two characters in the movies is good. And it's part of what makes the character enjoyable to watch. It, it, it's an easierly digestible um, storyline for people to understand that, that Tony is a flawed and troubled individual, you know. And one of the biggest ways that this presents for him is he has a hard time committing, you know. And so they present that in the movies through his troubles in a relationship because people can understand commitment on a level of a romantic relationship that that same trope is presented in the comics more through his alcoholism through his um his relationship with roadie as a as his best friend they touch on that in the movie you know because roadie essentially represents the federal government and we all know tony and, until the registration was not a big fan of the federal government regulation because they're right. going to slow him down so i mean i think the same thing is true with batman batman um if if you yes, Batman when he started out early early we're talking in the 30s he did carry a gun and he did kill, but it wasn't long after the introduction of the character that the no gun no kill rule was implemented into the mythos of Batman and every subsequent writer until today who has taken on the mantle of writing a Batman title has accepted that fact and embraced it and has and so much so that if you read all the different takes on the character in the comics. From that time, we're talking early 40s to today, They, all the writers have made that a key component to who Batman is, and it, it, they've explored why he has that rule and why it makes – why it's, it's, a, it's a manifestation and representation of who Batman and Bruce Wayne are at their heart and soul, the fact that he won't kill. And I think if you don't get that – this is my opinion once again – you're totally missing the mark on who Bruce Wayne and Batman and why he was so – case in point. There is a story. I want to say it was a cataclysm storyline. I could be wrong. So this cataclysm would be like, mm, I can't remember what that one is. But it was one that it was nineties. Yeah, one, that was the whole earthquake like, story, right? Like, like, yeah, ninety seven, ninety eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cataclysm came right after contagion, which led to the death of, the, uh, which led to uh, R.I.P. Batman, which led to um, Battle for the Cow, which is where we are now. The the fallout from Battle of the Cow, uh, which was tied into Final Crisis, was what Final Crisis was oh seven, I think. Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, so it's about a ten. It's the beginning of about a ten-year stretch on the character to where we are now with you know rebirth and New Fifty Two and convergence and all that stuff. But um, so anyway, uh, there's a there's a scene where Bruce is gone and Dick Grayson and the guys of Nightwing, you know, an adult, is finally got 
Joker one-on-one in a abandoned church and he beats Joker to death. Dick crosses that line, you know, and he, he's, he goes where, where Bruce will never go. Bruce shows right up as he lands the killing blow and Bruce looks at him like, what have you done? And immediately pushes Dick out of the way and pulls out of his utility belt, uh, you know, a, a portable defibrillator and brings Joker back to life, gives him CPR and puts a defibrillator on and then slabbing pimp slaps Dick. And he said, don't ever do that again. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. That is how serious Batman is about. No one has to die. You know, he even saves the life of his mortal enemy and chides his, his essentially son. Cause he looks at Dick as a son for going that route. And then there's uh, several panels of back and forth between Dick and Bruce and Bruce having to explain to Dick why we don't do, you know, and, and how he's disappointed in him. And he understands Dick's motivation and he explains to Dick why he's wrong. And, um, I feel like that right there is the core of the character. And for whatever reason, these fanboys that make these movies and these TV shows since 89's Burton are breaking that rule. And this is just yeah. another example. There's something to kind of agree with you here. And again, it's going to sound like I'm defending the Schumacher movies, but you know, they're, uh-huh. they have their moments, but they're in, in Batman Forever with, with, with Val Kilmer. There was a thing where. Chris O'Donnell's Dick Grayson was basically saying, you know, he, you know, he wants to kill the people responsible for his, his parents. And, uh, Batman basically says something effective because once you cross that line, it's no longer a choice. Right. You know, and, and so I, I, I think the writers of the, the Kevin Conroy take, you know, in, in the cameo, they, they knew about it at least because that's essentially what he says. He essentially says, I crossed that line, so I didn't stop, you know. Mm-hmm. To me, I don't know. Maybe I'm just the old fuddy-duddy, but there's just something about Batman I love, and that's a core reason why. And I think all the writers and editors since that edict came down in the late nine in the late 30s have gotten it for whatever reason. These other people don't. They don't like it, and so they're they are bound and determined. And I would love, absolutely love, one day for whoever the editor is at the time when one of these one of these jokers, no pun intended comes and says, hey, we're going to turn Batman into a killer in this movie, and DC and Warner Brothers says, no, no. Because they right. didn't on Batman v Superman with the Ben Affleck. They didn't to Tim Burton. They didn't They didn't tell CW people with this. And I wish somebody would have some, excuse my French, balls at DC and just say, no, that is not, you can play all you want with this, intele- with this you know, intellectual property. That's the one thing you can't do. Okay? And they don't. And they didn't do it here. And, and, and I, I, I think this is an example of a bait and switch too, in the sense that they try to tell us that he's the kingdom come Batman. He's kingdom come in that exoskeleton only, in my opinion, because if right. you read kingdom come and I've openly said, it's my favorite comic book storyline of all time. That Bruce Wayne does not lose hope, does not become a killer. Uh, you know, he, he just adjusts his way. He, he becomes essentially his own Oracle. Exactly. As a matter of fact, there's, there's a great scene that we talk, we refer to all the time. When Superman disappears from the Batcave and Batman says, oh, that's what it feels like. You right. Know? But before that moment, Bruce and Kal-El are going back and forth. And, and, and Clark, Kal-El, whatever you want to call him, even says to Bruce, I may not like you. I may not like your methods. But the one thing that we've always agreed on is no one has to die. And that's what makes you a hero. So that's even explicitly stated in the Kingdom Come that he's not a killer. And it, it won't go there. Right, right. And one of the things about that exchange that I like when it first happens, one of the first times is is Superman just flies and smashes into the Batcave and like Batman doesn't even turn around. 
he's like flinch. yeah he, uh, hey. he he's like somebody like somebody just popped his his head through the through the cracked door or something and he's just talking you know, it's like like it like it's happened like it's happened a bunch of times before you know i think bruce's response is something on the line oh hey cal are you gonna fix that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was it i mean didn't didn't even look away from the back computer he's saying it, you know so yeah i mean so to tell me that's the kingdom no he he has the look of the kingdom come and, and quite frankly Maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm reading stuff into it. I didn't feel like Kevin Conroy was as committed to this performance as I've heard him perform. If I heard him both in the animated series and in video games do this before, you know, heck, I've seen him more committed to the portrayal <coughs> in comedy stuff where he's mm-hmm. done like, you know, Batman doing doing the Batman voice, reading Darth Vader, lines, you know, and I, and I, the reason I say that is I think Kevin Conroy is one of those who gets it. And that's why he's so good at the role is he's always understood that about Batman. And I'm not sure he was 100 percent on board on. But I also I think he's a good actor who who did his did his did his best. You follow what I'm saying there? Yeah. And and, and I think maybe part of the idea is this was a Batman who's given up hope, you know, mm-hmm. you know, he, and I, he just, I, I think if it's, I think if it's any Batman, I especially said this once he went to the Batcave and we saw the Batsuit. Kevin Conroy is supposed to be the old crippled version of Ben Affleck Batman from the from that the Zack Snyder universe. Do you agree with that? Uh, not necessarily. I think I think they might have been they, they were taking things from uh, Kingdom Come and they were taking things from Batman Beyond, which I think is why they called it Earth ninety nine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the suit looked like it might have been around that that like it might have been inspired by the Ben Affleck one. Yeah, but am I am I also add when we were talking suits? How is this the Kingdom Come Batman? But then you're going to tell me the Kingdom Come Superman's on another Earth. They have to be on the same Earth if they're both from the same storyline. Once again, I think the Brandon Ralph Superman was not Kingdom Come. He was Kingdom Come in costume only. You know, in fact, the story, the backstory that they give him for his motivate with Lois and Perry and, and Jimmy and all them dying and how he's tur- that is an alternate take on essentially the prologue to the Injustice video game. Yet another DC property that's these characters, right? Right. Where it's a dystopian future where Joker, because he does allude to the fact that Joker's the one that caused this, and, and you know Brandon Rouse character does. They don't explicitly call he doesn't call him the Joker. He said he thought it would be funny, so they are right. definitely relaying the fact that Joker's the one who did this. Yeah, he didn't say it by name. He just said something, somebody from Gotham. It was like a reject from Gotham or something like that. Who thought it would be funny or a joke or something like that? So we all get okay. It's Joker's because right. in the beginning of the Injustice video game, it starts out with a prologue where. The Joker of that unit uh, somehow manipulates Superman by thinking that there's a nuclear bomb in, in Metropolis to doing something, and, it, and it, it directly leads to the death of Lois, Perry, and Jimmy, right. and 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 and, and, and uh, Cal and Lois' yeah. son, w- which which was referenced in the uh, you know that that's what all those names were referencing because those were all the people that died in Kingdom right. Come, right, right, and and then he. And then Batman has to watch Superman lose it and essentially punch a hole through Joker's chest. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the storyline of the video game is an alternate universe where uh, where Superman rises to power and co-ops all the empowered individuals, villains and heroes alike, into this martial state, you know, a, a police state. And heroes from another universe come there to try to correct it. Of course, Bruce is one of the few that resist superman in this alternate universe shocker there right <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh that's the whole storyline of the game so i felt like the motivation for the and the story they were telling backstory they were telling for the brandon rouse who man was more that video game than it was kingdom come and 
I, I will admit, I'm the biggest Kingdom Come fan you'll ever meet. So you're going to tell me you're going to give me Kingdom Come and then you give me only the costume? I'm going to critique it, okay? Because right. <laughs> you're not, I mean, nowhere did we see Shazam or Captain Marvel. And he is very, he is integral to the, uh, to the, the entire storyline of Kingdom Come. Very much so. Um, and, and he was nowhere to be seen in this cross. I mean, it might happen. We don't know. You right. know, I, I don't see it happening. If they were going to do it, we would have already heard that Zach Levi was going to show up on set. You know? Right. Right. And uh, another thing about the Kingdom Come Superman is the whole premise of that is that Superman was living in the Fortress of Solitude for, for 10 years. He, he wasn't right. working at the Daily Planet. Right. It was, it was Diana. It was Wonder Woman had to go to him and go, hey, you know, get yourself out of this funk. We need you. That's mm-hmm. kind of the beginning of that whole storyline. Uh, so that I'm not saying that I didn't like it. I'm just saying that I felt like there was some false advertising. And as a as a guy who's a former pro wrestler, uh, there's Card a thing we subject have to change. <laughs> yes, there's a thing we have in wrestling called bait and switch, and it is a it is an an absolute bad thing. It is not a good thing. It is a thing promoters will do where they'll promise certain matchups or certain events on a card, and then you as a fan pay your hard earned money show up and it doesn't happen. And you feel at at the least you feel a little let down. At the most, you're upset and you feel like you've been cheated. I do not feel. I think I'm more on the, on the former, not the latter. I don't feel like I'm you know money wasted. How can I say money wasted? Because this is you know broadcast television, right? But uh, you know, if I went to a movie version of this, I would. I don't know if I'd have felt like I was cheated out of my price of admission, but I'd have felt a little. I'd have felt a little betrayed. Yeah, yeah, you know? I can I can see that. If if this was something that was done in a movie, I probably would have critiqued it differently than just TV. It's what we talk about. When we talk wrestling all the time. Uh, maybe the big events aren't as good as they were back in the day. But back in the day, we were paying thirty to sixty dollars for a pay per view. Now we pay ten bucks a month for the network, so we don't care as much. Right. You know, I think it's a good analogy. But so the you know another thing too, and I wanted to bring this up, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I understand why they're doing, it, and I and it's actually kind of clever, as much as it upsets me. You have to know that the showrunners of these shows probably get constant, especially in the day's world of social media, constantly get. Uh, these requests from people within and without side of, you know, of what I was talking about earlier. They don't know the comics, but they know certain um, takes on intellectual properties from the comics. Because I think we're in agreement that DC has always done more, in, but not only in, in live action, but in, in animated movies, full-length movies with their properties than Marvel has until recently. Are we in agreement on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Super Friends and, and 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 the '66 Batman. I mean, there's a gazillion. I'm the old, you know, like you said, the George Reeves TV show. There's a gazillion different takes out there. So you know that these shows are constantly hearing people. Oh, what about what about incorporating this or that into your CW show? And I think the CW people see this as their own little universe. And a way to eliminate that is just destroy these Earths. So now there's you can't. You know, that's going to be their comeback now. Well, why don't you bring the uh, Michael Keaton Batman in? Well, we can't. He's dead. We destroyed that Earth. Did you not see the crossover? You see what I'm saying? Right. Uh, and, and they effectively destroyed almost all the things that you could have crossovers. The only ones I didn't see were, I didn't see any of the Zack Snyder or Christopher Nolan stuff, probably because they couldn't play with it, you know? Right. Uh, but they look, at the very beginning, they destroyed the idea for a 66 Batman, uh, a Tim Burton Batman. They've destroyed the idea of Lucifer and that television show because that that was, you know, we know all the Earths are destroyed at this point now. And he was on Earth 666. So that one's gone. Um, they destroyed even heck. They even destroyed the, the DC online streaming stuff. 
because I know you don't have it and I do. You saw at the very beginning a, 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 an older, like college days Robin, Dick Grayson Robin, get Amy Mattered out of existence right after Burt Ward did. Or right before. Yeah, yeah, I knew that was Titans. I guess what they did was they just uh, took an existing scene from an episode and just kind of tweaked it a little bit. If I if I understood but it right, they made it. But they made it look like that Earth was was Amy Mattered out too, right? So right. That, so now they oh, well, you know, cuz I'm sure that's one they hear a lot nowadays. Were well, you going to do any crossovers between CW and the streaming stuff? Now they say, no, we destroyed that. We destroyed that earth, you know? It's actually clever. Uh they you know, they essentially destroyed the kingdom. And also, it rem- I think I told you this in a text off mic. It reminds me a lot of the Ryan Johnson uh Last Jedi mm-hmm. where it was very polarizing because you had old longtime Star Wars fans like yourself and me who felt like he was poo-pooing on our nostalgia, right? And then you had these younger fans who weren't as emotionally invested into the franchise as we were, who didn't see why we were so upset. They're like, we're right. sitting bad. Right. And, and, and I mean, to the point where Ryan was driving this home by having Kylo Ren say, kill the past, destroy it, you know? And I think that was Ryan explicitly telling the audience, this is where I'm going with you, you know? Uh, if you like it, jump on board and go along the ride with me. If you don't, I'm sorry. This is what I'm going to do, you know? Right. I, I feel like there was a little bit of that going on here. You know, it's like they understand because of what I just said, there's a gazillion different takes on these characters. Some people like one take more than they like another. And they're tired of hearing how can we tie these in? And that's just difficult. I, as a creative person, not only not only from just the legal. I mean, I know it's all WB. It's all Warner Brothers. But there's still a lot of other fingers in some of these pies. I mean, Christopher Nolan still has a lot of fingers in the pie on his take of Batman, you know. And so you have to get permission and legal. All that aside, just from a creative standpoint, it can be difficult to figure out uh, an entertaining way to cross stream, so to speak, in these worlds. And they've effectively done away within a strong storyline that everybody likes and accepts as, as you know good, solid comic book canon uh, as a way to get rid of them. So they don't have to hear that anymore. And if they do, that's going to be their immediate response. And that ends the discussion. Right. So, so, and I think that's why I think that they're like, we're our own world. We're CW. We do what we do. And all due respect to all these other takes on DC properties, we have our own world. If you enjoy it, come along for the ride. If not, sorry, kind of the Ryan Johnson kill the past. Then, you know, what right. do you have any thoughts on, on my take on that? Uh, I, I can, I can see where you're coming from. I mean, I, I know. You know, me being kind of more of the Superman guy, not that I dislike Batman, but it's kind of the thing. I tend to be more Superman, you tend to be more Batman. I I, I think you're right about bats and, and not killing or anything like that, but... That, that uh, it I, is a core central part of who the character is, and if you don't get that, you miss exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I know I remember having a talk with uh, Real March Hare about this, because I think there was a depicted crossover with Batman and, and Deadpool, and... Uh, we agreed that, well, if Batman figures out that Deadpool is effectively immortal, then he's just going to use killing tactics because he knows it's not going to kill him. So, well, you know. I mean, there's a, there's a great Punisher Batman crossover. Mm-hmm. And that is explicitly stated early on is that Bruce makes Frank understand in no uncertain terms, no killing. And right. if you know the character of Frank Castle, you know how difficult that is for him. <laughs> you right, know? right. So not that I don't think I mean, I think Punisher and Batman work well together. Uh, it just, it was one of, and it's happened in Marvel before where Daredevil, who has a no kill clause, you know, um, has, has had to tell Punisher when they've teamed up, okay, Frank, no killing. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, you of know. course, if the guy dies, he's not going to be able to defend him in court later. Exactly. Exactly. But, but, <laughs> good point. 
<laughs> but so I, I think it's not, it's not this, I don't know. I just think that, but am I wrong in feeling that a, a multitude of creative people who have given us different takes on Batman since Tim Burton seem to be obsessed with wanting to turn Batman into a killer? Am I yeah. wrong in saying that? No, no, you're not wrong at all. I mean, you know, he, I think it's because they see it as, as such a dark character and really right. to, you know, I really hope, I mean, since we got Superman, I'm just really hoping that in some way, shape, or form, we can get a Batman uh, in the Arrowverse. I mean, I know they got Batwoman, and, uh, you know, i sorry if I upset people with this, but I'm just, I'm just not into the Batwoman character and, and the series as much. And, you know, I've, I've stuck with Supergirl, and I still like Supergirl, but it's just, I think it's more just the way the character's written and such, nothing against Ruby Rose, the, the actress, but it's just like, she's just a jerk. And yeah, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I was going to bring that up. I, I have only watched one episode of Batman, which I know shocks people. Cause I'm such a bats fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that it's been a very polarizing show. There've been a lot of, I, I'm, I'm a 100% agree with what you said. I don't think Ruby Rose is a bad actress at all. She, she, to me, it's a great example of what we talk about all the time. Don't blame actors, blame screenplay writers and directors, because that's who actors are acting with. Right. I, I, having now seen how the character's written, having seen more of her in this crossover than I have in just the one episode, it's just not a very well-written character. It, 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 and I think it, it's what you said about why they want to make him a killer. They, they don't, they just see Batman as a dark character, and to them, dark means they have to be a killer. Like Frank, like... Deadpool, you know, because they're yeah, dirty, hairy, you know, dirty. Yeah, these are all dark characters. Exactly. And um, so, quite frankly, I think that's very narrow minded. But I mean, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, I think I think they're so bound and determined to make Batwoman dark and brooding because that's the version of Batman they know, understand or like maybe a combination of all three. This is the way they're going to do. And it just doesn't work. You know, I mean. Mm. Once again, I'm a fan of the Batwoman comics, and though Kate is dark and brooding, she's not this dark and brooding in the comics. As a matter of fact, Kate's someone, because of her familial relationship with Bruce Wayne, and because of their respect, because they're both vigilante crime fighters, she's the character in the comics that sometimes talks Bruce down from the, the ledge when, you know, Alfred and Dick and, you know, uh, yeah, Tim Drake and characters like that can't, you know? So mm-hmm. she... Though, and, and I think some of that, to be told, I think some of the play they did between her and, and Kara was some of the best writing they did do for Batman. Yes, yes, I will agree with that. Because it, it was the same thing I'm talking about she does when she's in the comics, where yeah. she can be that, 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 that beacon of hope. You know, and it's weird to me to see that because throughout the entire run of the Flareoverse, Barry Allen's, the, the, Gus, the Grant Gustin Barry Allen. Oh, by the way, completely off topic, there's another one they destroyed the John Wesley ship. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't that, have, that was giving my next question, actually. So we'll, I mean, they've we'll already, with that that's next. One that, that's one that that's another take on another. They've already incorporated into this one, and they went ahead and destroyed it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but but I, back, I digress. Back back to back to Batwoman. I think that that was you know that interplay between her and Kara is some of the stuff from the comics of Kate and Bruce, and yeah. it's been difficult because Grant Gustin has been that that. Uh, you know, that bright spot, I think, in a very dark universe. I think we both have agreed on that on my right. before, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's so, one of the reasons why I, I like Flash so much is it's the one that is the... Uh, most light. Yeah, you know, you know, Arrow is pretty dark, even though Ali's... I mean, Ali will kill and such, but for the most part, he he tries to 
pull his punches when he can. But right. it's like Barry's that type of guy that will figuratively put his hands on the on the shoulders of the other heroes and say everything's going to be all right. Or maybe even literally he'll do that, you know. But yeah, he's yeah. you know he's that uh, brotherly type character that's telling everybody, no, that things are going to be okay. Just 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 right. have hope. And I think Grant Gustin does a great job at bringing that out. Mm-hmm. And, and quite frankly, uh, that is not a that is not a new place for the Flash. The Flash in the comics, right. uh, the take in the in, in the animated universe is he's more of a, of a jokester, practical joker. Yeah, yeah. The Wall the Wally West Flash in the comics and the, in the animated series, he's he's much more of a uh, much more of a jokester. Yeah. And I think, but they still get across that he's the he's the bright spot so to speak, yeah. in this very dark universe. And <laughs> uh, this, this isn't a crisis, so I don't, I don't want to distract too much, but a perfect <laughs> example of that, that element of Flash was in the first episode of the Justice League animated series when Wonder Woman shows up and Flash is like, where have you been all my life? And Wonder Woman says, Themyscira. You know, like she's actually answering <laughs> yeah. the question. And then, they, <laughs> and then they're like, okay, we've got to break up. We've got to split up into teams. And Flash is like, puts his arm around Wonder Woman's like, dibs on the Amazon. And then exactly. it cuts to uh, Flash and and Green Lantern, you know the John Stewart Green Lantern as they're run as they're dashing off, and Flash says, "You are no fun." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like that's exactly. that's Wally West. You know? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, exactly. And so I think they they he's more of a joke, but I think you know it was kind of cool to see that if they if they develop if they develop that more and they're in, in the on the show that is the Batwoman if the mm-hmm. showrunners of the Batwoman show develop that side of Kate and that take on Kate where she can be a beacon of hope, even though she's a dark character, I might be more interested in watching it more regularly. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah. And, I, and I, the, I, the uh, nugget that I think they gave us as far as that goes was when Kara was talking about using the book to restore her earth. And, uh, you know, and Kate saying, you know, you're, you're essentially going to have to go through me to, to do that. Right. And of course I did like that. I mean, we, we talk about how, uh, they know there's certain things that they, the show owners know there's certain things they can't play with. There's certain toys. That, and so we're never going to get that great scene that we've seen many times in both animated and the comics where soups essentially gives kryptonite to Batman because he understands he can trust Batman. If he ever goes rogue, we kind of got that between Kara and, and Kate when she reveals that she has kryptonite from the Kevin Conroy Batman and chose not to use it and was going to give it to Kara and Kara said, no, that was essentially, at least in my mind, it was. Was it to you? Oh yeah, yeah. That it was. It, it, it was and, that was a that was a, you know an homage to that. Right, and and right. I think knowing the Arrowverse, uh, that they, they, that might come because they they did that in the uh, the Earth X crossover right. because it's like right. because you wouldn't put it past Alex. Like, you have a Kryptonite arrow. Yo. Of course, doesn't everyone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how he said. And you know, there's another one that, that, that you know at the very beginning when they killed off the Burt Ward, Dick Grayson, they killed off the Ray, you know, and 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 Earth X, and I mean that's a that's a cartoon on their streaming service, Ray and the Freedom Fighters, you know, who if you know your crisis history, uh, the Freedom Fighters are actually pretty important. They're usually the ones that team up with the Justice Society and Justice League in the comic book crisis. Or crises, I guess would be the correct pronunciation. Yeah, crises would be plural. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it, it's um, they. They were trying to eliminate any uh, possibility. But I think with all that being said, I think we're in agreement. Some of these Earths are coming back, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know if they would bring them all back, but I think they're going to at least bring back the ones that had the cameos because otherwise 
there's going to be the people out of that will somehow be affected that they can't watch, you know, Batman 66 again. And it's just like, and if, if you're correct, then my whole theory about this is just a clever way for them to avoid that is completely moot. But I digress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would not be surprised if there are some changes because this is a perfect opportunity to mix up some of the stories and have a on-screen reason for it. Like that time where Barry reversed time and then all of a sudden – uh, Diggle has a, 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 you know, instead of a son, he has a daughter, you know, or, right, or flip, right. flip, you know, I think it's flipped, but that type of thing. So they might have some differences that happen in Arrow and Legends because of it. I mean, it became a gag in Flash, you know, where, uh, what did Harry you do, Wells Barry? would show up and be like, Barry, what did you do? This is different now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I, I want if you want to talk differences from the comics. I mean, I want to talk to I want to talk about that a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we said we knew that this was probably something at least they wanted to try to do. Whether they whether they thought they were ever going to get a chance to do it, they didn't know. The showrunners when they named when they when they named Diggle's wife Lila Michaels, obviously yeah. they had because I mean she's a whole new character created for the crisis in eighty five in the comic books, you know, mm-hmm. to become Harbinger. So they were that at least wanted to do it. Now whether they were gonna get a chance to do it, they didn't know, but that we agreed on that. Uh in the comics, I don't I don't it's been a while since I've read the storyline. I don't remember Harbinger ever becoming a bad guy in a vessel for the anti monitor, do you? Uh she did kill Monitor, but she was possessed by a shadow demon when she did it. So Right. Right. So that was but I'm talking about they made it seem more like it was like it was actually it, it actually, was Animonitor himself getting through to right, her, yeah. Right, right, exactly. So that was different. Um, and they never destroy all the Earths in Crisis. Right. They, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the end of Crisis, and go back, this kind of dovetails off what we were just talking about, Earths coming back. We know now at the end of Part 3, as we, as we have that break before the holidays and come back in January, that all the Earths have been destroyed. And only the Paragons are alive. And they're on, they're on the, the, um, the vanishing point, which... Is a concept mm-hmm. that was introduced in Legends. Yeah, I think Rip it was, was the second around. season of Legends. Yeah, that's that's where Wentworth Miller's, you know, Captain Cold sacrificed himself was in the vanishing. Right. Oh, and by the way, how great is Wentworth Miller as the as the Earth seventy four ship? I that I is cracked a that rib. was <laughs> definitely a high spot. That was, yeah. <laughs> that's right up there with the, the interplay between you know Matt Ryan and, and Tom Ellis characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I was I, you know I kind of hoped we were going to get to see him as Captain Cold, but this this we're not this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm a big real fan. And for for what it's worth, I never get tired of seeing Dominic Purcell play Mick Rory, ever. Yeah, I've said He's, before for years <laughs> that uh, they could do a, a sitcom where it's just Mick Rory in an apartment and each skit ends with him torching his new roommate, you know? <laughs> right, right. That used to be so funny. He was the only one that could get baby Jonathan to, uh, yeah. to calm yeah. down. That was great. That was hilarious. You know, and he's reading them like this god awful like romance novel that he wrote. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you know, I digress about about you know Mick Rory. Uh, Paragons, another thing yet again, not in the comics. You know, um, completely new idea concept created for the show. I do think, as a DC fan, it is a bit of a wink, wink, nod, nod to a. There have been, I think, two, maybe three storylines called the Seven Soldiers of Fortune. Yeah. Uh, the original one was in the, I want to say the fifties. There was one in the late nineties or two thousands that Alan Moore was a Grant Morrison. One of the two of them wrote it. And it's essentially a combination of seven characters that are either villains or heroes 
that don't realize they're intertwined and they become intertwined and they're, they are needed to save the multiverse. The one I'm most com- most knowledgeable about is the one from the late 90s or 2000s. And the seven soldiers were like Zatanna, uh, Clary and the Witch Boy, Frankenstein's Monster, the DC version of Frankenstein's Monster. Uh, mm. Manhattan, Manhattan, uh, transfer, oh, not Manhattan, what is this, uh, Manhattan cell block or whatever his name is, the Bulleteer. I can't remember who all of them were, but there's seven of them. I'm wondering if I, the concept of seven of them is kind of an homage to that. Do you follow where I'm going with that? Yeah, I, I kind of thought Justice League, uh, and just seven, I mean. Seven you, is a big number in the universe, right, always has been. Right. And, and in, uh, uh, myth and stories, uh, I wanted to mention this because it was what I was piecing wow. together. And I'm not saying it as a prediction just because, some of the words they were using and emotions were uh, different. But I started mm-hmm. seeing these, okay, hope, love, and uh, courage, and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, these are sounding an awful lot like Lantern Power Rings emotions. Yeah. You know? my, my thought, I thought that a little bit. I was like, is this their version of the Infinity Gauntlet? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> and let's be honest. The, Marvel was so effective in how they told that overarching story over 10 years and how they paid it off with, with Infinity War and Endgame. Anybody who's going to try to do anything like that at any level is going to have to going to have to at least study it. Mm. So there were some similarities. I mean, I, did you not see some similarities to the, to the what, what they call it, the blip? I call it the finger snap of doom. There were right. some similarities in this to that. Do you agree or disagree? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there are characters. It, it's what the uh, Oa kind of are in the DC universe where the Lanterns come. They have a group called Guardians of the Universe. Well, that Not, sounds like Guardians of the Galaxy, doesn't it? Yeah, but our Guardians of the Universe came first, but I digress. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> but I mean, then again, you know, Namor came before Aquaman, so we can, it works both ways, okay? <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think that maybe you're right. Maybe it is a justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I mean, Shazam. We talked about that in our when we talked about Shazam before the movie came out last year. That you know, it's an actually an acronym for the 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 thing, the powers that he has, and what gods he gets these powers from. So this idea or concept is not new to not only DC but comic book. You know, when mm-hmm. you start dealing with things on this grand scale, don't you kind of have to go there? Oh yeah, yeah. Eventually they they were because I know even in Smallville they they had the Justice Society in it. So right, you know, right. I mean, that was for for my girlfriend. It was very difficult for her for first to accept Stephen Amell as Oliver Queen because she was a devout fan of Smallville, and her oh. Oliver Queen was Justin Hartley. Yeah, you yeah. I, I had the same conversation with one of my friends because I I had come across it on a Facebook, you know, uh, this day, and she was like, "Oh, have you been watching Arrow? It's really good." And I cut this geek, angry geek promo. About how, oh, they established all this stuff in Smallville and they just gave it and, and this and that. And to tie back to, you know, the Last Jedi reference, it's like now the old me coming back years later is, is like Luke in Last Jedi saying, everything you've just said is wrong. Like everything I read, every, every diatribe that I went on in that rant turned out to be wrong because <laughs> now, I, now I love the shows, you know. It's the Harrison. It's that great Harrison Ford line in uh, Force Awakens. That's not how the force works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which of all the great lines Han Solo has ever had, that might be the greatest ever, but yeah. I digress. <laughs> yeah. But, Especially since it's coming from Han Solo, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That doesn't hurt. That's for sure. Uh, I, I, I mean, it sounds like I'm poo-pooing on, but I really did enjoy it. Some of the things I really liked was I did love how they were able to get some of the music 
you know, mm-hmm. as a wrestler who came out to, you know, an entrance song for 15 years understands. And as a musician myself, understanding the kind of emotional, um, things music can do to people and how, how it's very tied to our memory. I thought it was great. There was a, like a, just a little hint of the Danny Elfman Batman when they showed the Robert Wool Alexander yep. Knox character. And, and there was, you know, the, the John Williams, you know, which for my money's Right up there with Star Wars and Indy is like his greatest. Yeah. And, and <laughs> they played, yeah, they played just enough of it, just when he's yeah. st- suited up for those few seconds, right. and that that's and all you needed, if, really. I don't know if you caught it. I don't know if you caught it, but they even they went even further. The first time Earth thirty eight Lois, you know, the one mm-hmm. married Tyler yep. Hedberg, sees the Brandon Routh, they do the love theme for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I was like, well, that's that's a night, you know mm-hmm. that 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 famous scene where, where of course Christopher Reeve takes Margot get her fly, you know, flying through right. Metropolis and she's, she's like, oh, voiceovering the song, you know? Right, right. And, uh, I, cause I know when they went into Clark's office and he did that thing about, you know, I've, I've dealt with Lex Luthor before. I even, I, I think I, I am if I texted you, but I remember texting some of my friends and it's just like, it, it's like he never left the role, you know, whether it's right. Brian and Routh or whether it's, you know, it, it's almost like Krista Reeve never left. And of course, I'm sure that's what they were going for. Yeah, exactly. I think they're going for. And uh, is anybody shocked? That, that that Lex Luthor, which by the way, I, you know John Cryer is awesome in that role. Probably arguably <laughs> the best live action Luthor, yeah. Uh, uh, even better than Spacey. Mm. I mean, I know Spacey's kind of a persona non grata right now, but right. he was really I, good. <laughs> yeah, I, I still hear Clancy Brown's voice in my head when I read Superman comics with Lex in it, but you know, right? But you know, it's so it's. I think we. Can, I mean, Gene Hackman. I'm on a lot. Gene Hackman's my favorite actor of all time, mm-hmm. uh, and. I liked him as Lex Luthor, but it was not a great portrayal, you know. Right, which and again was, goes was, back to the the you know the directors kid, and such. And I also think some of it's well on that one. Gene has spoke on it before. I think Gene, much like Joel Schumacher, was more influenced by the '66 Batman, and he kind of wanted to be silly in camp because right. he you got Gene came from a from a generation when comic books were not looked at as serious art; they were for kids, right. you know, and. and for what Gene Hackman did with the role, where he what he was trying to do, I thought he was excellent. You know, but but you know, as a comic book nerd, I want my my stuff a little more serious than than the campiness he brought. You know, and because because Christopher Reeve was playing on the street, so why are you not? You know, and I think that's probably why I liked the Kevin Spacey take on it, uh, and Clancy Brown's too, because I think a key component we're talking about the no kill for Batman. A key component to Lex Luthor's. Uh, makeup it's just his ego right he just cannot be and that's what john cryer should bring out the, the hubris of lex luthor is completely narcissistic in every way shape and form you know exactly and, and, and you know i i'm i'm not not only am i shot they did it because they probably want brandon ralph to play ray palmer but it also allows you to to have a, a tie back to the comics this is that alexander who of course mm-hmm. we talked about in our and our, you know, build up the crisis that in the comics, Alex, which is the Earth 3 take about of Lex Luthor. Yeah, the good guy, Lex Luthor, yeah. The one who fights the crimes in it, which is the bad guy, just you know, Ultraman, Owlman, that. Um, so that's why I think they're kind of going with that. I think it's a double whammy there. I mean, I don't know what you feel on that. I, I think so. And they clearly also gave the nods with past Supermans because, uh, you know, Earth 38 Soup said that, uh, you know, baby Jonathan looked like his son because, of course, Superman uh-huh. Returns. They had the you know the Superboy in that, and he even said he had that line uh, after the Superman versus Superman fight, which I thought was great. Yes, uh, it was he, very well he said, done. Uh, "This is not the first time I fought myself," which of course is a reference to Superman Three. Right, exactly. So you know, I, I think that that they are 
you know, some of the homages I think were bait and switch. Some of them I thought were really yeah. well done. But overall, I mean, like I said, I, it sounds like I'm poo-pooing on it, but I actually did enjoy it because because I went in with the mindset I know what CW does with these properties. Oh yeah. Had, had this been a, like we like you said earlier, had this been a movie where I was promised a pure adaptation of of the comic that I love so much, and I got this, I would have been upset. But with it being a CW property and knowing what going in with expectations of what they were, I was fine with. it. I thought it was just well done, uh, you know, and 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 I'm just happy. Okay, yeah, like I said, I did not expect to see eighty what is it, eighty three, eighty six year old Burt Ward wear tights and do a fight scene. But the fact right. I got to see him do one of his lines, and eh, I can't complain, can I? Right. Uh, I know we touched on Flash before and that the the Barry Allen, because there's there's really two things about Monitor and Luther that I wanted to touch uh, upon here. And I know we're only halfway through, but now that Monitor's dead, it'll make explaining his side of things a little more difficult. Oh, but For what it's know. worth, before you get going, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've watched any of the uh, the Aftermath shows that they've had to. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, Kevin, I, I, Kevin Smith is the perfect guy to, to talk right. this stuff with. Right, exactly. But, you know, let's be honest, they stole the idea from AMC with Christopher Hardwick doing, you know, Talking Dead after Walking Dead. But, oh, yeah. I mean, everybody has to start somewhere, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. so, but, but you know, they, they, they had Guggenheim on the first one, and he openly said, spoiler here, and I'm not spoiling it now because he's already spoiled it. Uh, the first 10 minutes of the Arrow episode, which will be, I think, the first of the two that come in January. Correct. Uh, is going to be, as he called, described it, the flashback of all flashbacks. So if you're going to do a flashback, it makes sense to do it on the Arrow show. And it is going to be a flashback explaining how the Monitor and the Anti-Monitor came to be. And even even will explain why the Monitor wears the costume. So, yeah, we haven't seen the last of Monitor, I guess is what my point I wanted to make since you brought that up. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I catch you off. Uh, just, just the Monitor explaining, like, why bringing back Lex Luthor would be a good idea since you know he's just going to be out for, for himself. And... You know, I know the twist ending with Luther essentially replacing Earth Earth uh, ninety six Superman and setting a. Who's the paragon the end, still, of what? Yeah, what? yeah, but it uh, it fits with Luther because yes, Lex Luther is neutral if not lawful evil. He's not going to want the world to end because if the world ends, he can't rule it. You know exactly. So and, and, and I do like how when when they. Who was it the question? How are you going to be the paragon of love? And Carson, well, he loves himself more than anything else. So he does understand, just doesn't understand the kind of love that you're thinking of, you know? <laughs> right, right. And the other thing is Luther going around killing all the Supermans. And that was funny. Yeah. And, and I, I get how they played that, but then it's like he, fig- he finds out Clark Kent is Superman in Smallville, but. The, somehow the book doesn't tell him a, uh, that Clark right. Kent is the Superman in, in the other earth i i sound like i'm nitpicking with that but i think it's a fair question right i do think it was funny when he decided not to kill the tom willing because he's like right well if you're right, not superman human, you, you know, don't have powers this is no fun this is not right fun. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and and i i which reminds me since they've destroyed all the earths uh and black lightning is not going anywhere we're in agreement that is one of the they don't ever say what earth that he's from though do they that jefferson's from I don't, yeah i don't think they gave it a, a number i did watch a good chunk of the black lightning episode but really uh-huh. the main crisis tie-in that that had was the last the red skies yeah yeah they showed that at the end so that that's i think they're either going to bring some of those earths back because there's an unresolved story with black lightning you know there's there's right. still several episodes with daughter, left with, with right. his daughter yeah 
Right. Uh, so, so I think they will either bring back some of those Earths or they'll do like what the DC Universe did, where it's kind of everything in one, but we can pick and choose the characters that we want to to keep, so right. to speak. Right, right. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Chris Williams is great in that character, oh, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. He's... He, uh, he's he's right there with John Cryer, some best casting though. Right, I did um, hear that the reason why they had him act the way they did is they they weren't going to have him for the whole series because it's filmed in Atlanta and the other of our shows are filmed in Canada, Canada, aren't they? Right, so they that's why he didn't come in until like halfway through the series because they want they didn't want to just do a cameo with them. But they knew they couldn't have him for the entire run of the right. show, run of the series. Right. And 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 I just I'm glad they included him finally, you know. We talked about this in the last crossover. Do we get a do we get a, a black and they've done a good job on the Black Lightning show of explaining that all these other CW shows don't exist on this earth, you know? Right. That he is a hero on his earth, and there are other empowered individuals, but none of them are the Ollie or the Kara or any of those that we know of, you know? Right. Um, and, and with the concept of a multiverse, that's not hard to digest. Um, were there any other things that really stuck out to you? You really, really liked or really, really disliked about it overall? Well, uh, I, I like the way that they killed off the Earth 90 flash. I mean, that was the other thing about the monitor is like he told Barry Allen that you're going to die. And he's just like, okay, well, you know, these multiverses, you should know which one's going to die. So, right. You know, and, now and, I and suppose. John Wesley could- Ship even says. He didn't say, he just said a flash had to die. Right, right. And maybe that could be argued that Monitor was just, maybe he told every Barry Allen that or something to that effect, and he was just weeding out the one that was going to go for it. You know, that's that seems a bit dishonest in my view, but, but that, that's, that, that's just me. But that's kind of Monitor's isn't it? <laughs> right, right. And, but, you know, the he runs himself to death, and the once again, the homage to the, the issue, I think it was issue eight when, when that happened. Right. But the last thing he sees is a, well, flashback, this time pun intended, and he sees, you know, the young Tina McGee, the young uh, Amanda Pays character from the show all those years ago, because that was definitely the romance in in that show. Right. For what it's worth, I hope they bring back John Wesley Ship, because mm-hmm. I just, I'm I'm a fan. I like that. It wasn't on for, what, two seasons? A season? I can't I think remember. it was one season. They thought they were going to get another one, but 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 they didn't. And I think... If they are going to have other Earths, then it's only natural that they bring him back because you know he is Jay Garrick on one of the other Earths. So, and you know. dude, him in that Jay Garrick that classic oh, yeah, costume, absolutely. Yeah, with with you know with the hat like Mercury, the Greek god of speed. That that's awesome. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember you were the one that had pointed out the season finale of the first season where Barry you know whipped up that huge tornado or whatever where it was, and then you saw and the Jay Garrick helmet. Yeah, and and it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> That was that was the one. That's the one where where well we thought it was Harrison Wells, but it was actually Eobard Thawne in Harrison Wells' skin. Going, gotta go, because <laughs> he know he understands what that what that represents, you know. <laughs> and Barry's like, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of my favorite homages they've ever done on. But um, I'm just I'm a fan of the Jay Garrett Flash, the you know the classic Flash, right. which for what it's worth, this whole concept of crises actually goes back to the two of them interplaying in the comics and what that's, 60s, that, that's where it? it started from. Yeah, because I remember watching the. Aftermath with Kevin Smith, and they saw about who was the first character the Flash, to Flash of Two Earths, I think it was called. Yeah, yeah, because I remember seeing the 
uh, question that was asked, you know, like who was the first character to know of more than one Earth? And Flash wasn't even one of the choices listed. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was Flash. You know, pretty sure it was Jay Garrett probably knew, wasn't it? Right, right. It, it was uh, Barry jumped into another world through his his running. His is how they explained it. Right. So you know, it's it's. Um, but I, I that was something I liked, but I do want him to bring back. And they might, like you said, he is Jay Garrick. I mean, I, I went, you know, I did, I had my geekgasm back in season one when they introduced Henry, Barry's dad, and they had John Wesley ship cast to play him. I was like, well, that's awesome, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I'm not complaining. I, they do a lot of fan service on these shows, but I, 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 like I said earlier, I do think a lot of this fan service is, uh, they're not, they're not super hardcore geeks like we, you know, they don't take in every nuance and aspect and variation and take on a character. They're a fan of a particular property. You know, they're a fan of the Dark Knight Christopher Nolan trilogy, or they're a fan of the Super Friends, or they're a fan of, you know, the, the 90 John Wesley ship flash. I, I will, I will say this. Uh, the females I know have never said that John Wesley ship wasn't a bad looking guy. Um, but my girlfriend, when they did, when they actually showed the real clicks clip as in a flashback from the old 90s show, the mm-hmm. young John Wesley ship, she's like, Dang. I said, yeah, he was, you see yeah, why he was yeah. cast as a superhero now. Don't yeah. You? He had that uh, soap opera, uh, lead man, leading man. Yeah. 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 We, we talk about Lyle Wagner playing, you know, Steve Trevor in the old 77, you know, Wonder Woman series. He mm-hmm. kind of had that same vibe, you know, that, oh, that, yeah. that, that, yeah. Cause my mom thought Lyle Wagner was one of the best looking guys ever to live for what it's worth. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. I, I did like, um, and, and correct me what well, you're wrong or your take. When they went to Earth, I think it was 46, to find Jonathan. And we saw Old Man Ollie in that, on that Earth, which, for, for the record, my girlfriend loved because she loves guys with salt and pepper in their beard. Mm-hmm. They were totally channeling the, the Dark Knight Returns, Oliver Queen, minus the, the, the fake leg, right? Right, right. I, I was uh, looking at that. I'm like, oh, okay, well, he's thing? got two arms, you know, so, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, didn't, have the, he didn't have the prosthetics, but right. he had the – he had – he had more of a goatee than instead of a full beard like Stephen Amell normally wears, and it right. was salt and pepper, and he was wrinkled. I'm going; they're totally going for the look of Oliver from Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, and and I think making it another Earth the way they did that, they're kind of covering their base because they did something similar in the first season of Legends where they went into future Star City, and right. You know, and I think that time Ollie had he. I think he had like a prosthetic arm or something like that, but he clearly had a longer beard. And right. I think they just did that to try to explain. Ah, okay, so this is why they went into the future and mm-hmm. came back, and but yet things change. You know, because that was another Earth. You know, right? Well, I, it's is we talked about it ad ad nauseum. I got on my soapbox for fifteen minutes about it, but um, I know they're saying Kevin Conroy was kingdom come batman i also felt he had a lot of the the, the dark knight returns batman in him too don't you mm-hmm. the yeah. Frank yeah the whole thing about him being being older yeah especially the idea of he killing him and killing superman you know uh that was like i mean i know he doesn't kill superman in dark knight returns but that was kind of you know he, he was proving that he could you know right. and then just at the last minute he you know let, this him, is gonna you know, shock let him live i don't think i've ever said this on on air before but i've told you off that as big a Batman fan as I am, I have never been a big fan of the Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. I think it is one of the most overrated storylines in comic history. It, it has had a ripple effect. A lot of what we're talking about with Batman being dark and brooding 
can be directly related back to that storyline. I right. think it was a great Elseworlds storyline, and I think it needs to be it needs to be seen as that, and people don't. They think it's canon, and it's not. It was Frank Miller is like a lot of comic book artists who wears his heart on his sleeve and his his socio and political uh, ideologies and thoughts he expresses through his media. And I feel like as much as he wants to talk about he did the Dark Knight Returns as a way to bring back more serious nature to Batman, it was really more about his frustration as a, as a left-leaning liberal with the Reagan-era America. That's my right. opinion. Yeah, there's a reason why Ronald Reagan was the president in that, you know. Right, right. And, and, and so – and, and you know, I'm, I don't care what your politics are. You like Reagan. You didn't like Reagan. Heck, a lot of listeners probably weren't even alive when he was president. But, I mean, it, it, that's fine if that's what you want to do. And, and I don't think – and to Frank's credit, Frank has never, ever said, this is meant to be canon. I, I wanted this where all Batman – he never said that. Right. It's it just, was a self-contained idea. Right. It, it, it's similar to a modern take. It's similar to the, the recent Joker movie. It, it's not right. meant to be a direct story in the comic book world. Right. It's just an intellectual property that we're going to play with, you know? And so, but I mean, you don't have, I don't think you have this people obsessed with turning Batman to a killer. If they weren't fans of that, uh, it definitely was directly influenced Zack Snyder with Batman and Superman. Obviously I think we saw some of it here in this and, uh, all this did was reinforce my, I don't really like this. And it's not that I dislike the story. I dislike how so many people who don't know, true Batman mythos think that it's canon and it's not, you know, I understand it sold well. And it, it was one of those rare comic books that sold well to non-comic people. And it, it even sold like, you're not a, you're not a DC guy. You're a Marvel guy, but you knew the whole thing because it was that important to the comics, you know? And, and I, I just wish it had, it really started the trend because it wasn't long after that Marvel really started delving into Wolverine, Deadpool, um, Punisher. Punisher, yeah, yeah. We saw Spider Man get a little darker. We saw Captain America begin to question, question, uh, you know, America and their motivations as a nation. Just things that made a lot of characters darker in all comics came right after that. So I, I'm sure you agree that it had a it had it had a pretty long term effect on the comic books. Yeah, it, it, it was a game changer to culture. I think it it's a, it, it became probably the closest thing. Pop culture might not be the word. But it changed the face of comic books, I think. Right. And so, you know, it, it, it's the fact they homage it in this, or at least I feel they did, not a shocker, but not a fan. Uh, you know, not, not, what was it, not, a, not, not a fan of the story. Story's fine. Just, you know, my biggest issue with that story, actually, believe it or not, has nothing to do with the take on Batman. It has to do with the take on Superman. They turned Superman into this, like, clueless putts in that. He's just a just a puppet for Ronald Reagan and the American government. And I'm like, you don't get Superman, man. Superman's not that. He, Superman's a lot of things. Dumb ain't one of them and gullible ain't the other, you know? Right. And if he, if he is gullible, he's, he's, he's powerful enough to realize the error of his, of his ways and fix it quickly, you know, mm -hmm. to make the old wrestling analogy, you know, Sting's always getting screwed by his tag team partners because he's, because he's the ultimate baby face and he trusts too much. Right. But Sting always had the, always had the, the power as a great wrestler to overcome that. And correct it. Superman did too, and they don't do that in that storyline. He's a, he's a clueless putz throughout the entire storyline. That's just mm. not Superman. So right. anyway, <laughs> well, I think we'll start to to wind things up here because the the next episode, you know, the aforementioned Arrow one, uh, Marv Wolfen actually helped co-write that, which would fit, giving 
Right. Uh, we're going to give the monitor backstory. And also, I think given how different things were, like you said, with the, all the multiverse being destroyed, whereas in the comics, at the end, there were still several that, that did survive. Right. Uh, so maybe they're just kind of getting Marv's hand in there so he can say, okay, this is, this is where we should go or, or something to that effect. Yeah, so, Guggenheim did you know. say in that, in that interview I, I referenced earlier that Wolfman is the one who co-wrote with him the whole Monitor uh, that flashback origin story, which completely makes sense since he created the character to begin with. You know, Right, right. So one, one other thing we'll do here, I, I figured I'd kind of go through our predictions, uh, see what we see what we got uh, right and what we got wrong. Some of these obviously are still TBA because or TBD because, you know, we're only halfway through. Mm-hmm. But we had thought John Diggle might pick up a ring. We figured he'd live. And, uh, you know, he's still alive so far. Oliver Queen, I put dies, kind of, which is pretty much what happened. He's died and come back, may become the next Spectre. Felicity, we haven't seen yet. She's been referenced, though. And I mean, and I mean beyond just the fact that she's me as mom. She has been referenced. Right, right. And Barry, I put dies but returns. Well, the it was just a different Barry that died. I can't believe we didn't see that one coming. By the way, right, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when that happened, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so obvious. Why didn't why didn't we think of that? But yeah, it was pretty pretty crystal clear. We we really we really dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> right. But Kara, I think, is going to make make it through. I actually said we might see another Kara die, but we're probably not going to see that. I, I think either way, she's she's making it through just because she's a popular character. Uh, Superman, I said. Uh, that Kingdom Come Superman would would die, and I don't know if we'll see him because he kind of died. You could say, by the way, Luther um, made brought, his brought, brought him in, took his place, basically. Right, right. We actually we got both Supermans essentially dying, even though neither one died in the in the comic version. So that that's a pretty big right. uh, change. Uh, Constantine, we said would live. Smallville, I actually had the the dies kinda, and I'm dead wrong on that. He's alive and well. Right. And um, well, no, he's dead. That, that Earth, all Earth well, yeah, his Earth is destroyed. Yeah, but, <laughs> but he wasn't he wasn't killed the way you thought he was going to. Right, kill. right. He didn't die as part of the story. And the one I seem to have gotten right the most is Batman because I put dies because I thought, well, you know, if you kill Batman and Superman, you don't really need to kill any of the other regulars. You know, right. So I thought the one you've got most right is once again it's TBD. Uh, Ollie becoming the Spectre is looking more and more like what's going to happen, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. So that's. That's my final prediction is I think what is going to happen because they did explain the amount of mental power it would take to withstand doing something that way with the Book of Destiny. I think it's very possible that Spectre will do that and it kills him and then Ollie just picks up the mantle of Spectre afterwards. That's my. You're you're talking the Jim Lobo. Right, right, right. The the, the Corrigan Spectre will die and then. Uh, or I guess die again. You guys kind of have to say, it, but Ali will step in, and that's <laughs> that's the death. ending of it, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So, Which you know, who was it that said you're not the Corrigan I know? I think it was it was it was, it, it was Constantine. Yeah, yeah, because they did have uh, Corrigan in a, in an episode of Constantine, if not uh, as a recurring character. Right. Well, Spectre is. I've said it before. Shocker. I, I'm more attracted to the horror, mystical, magical side of comics, and that's why I'm a DC fan. I feel they do it better than Marvel. Marvel's more sci-fi based. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, all these characters you're speaking of, Lucifer, 
Morningstar and John Constantine and the spec, the Jim Corgan Spectre. Those are all heavy, 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 heavyweights in the DC mystical, magical horror stuff, you know, which is why I like them and know so much about them. But um, uh, do you think, I mean, it's kind of like I've said a million times. I love David Harewood. I think he's awesome as, as John Jones, another one of my favorite characters, yeah. by the Good way. Good American accent, too. Yeah, I forget he's I forget he's British until I see him doing interviews. Right, and right. Like, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing with me with uh, uh, Paul Blackthorne. Blackthorne. Same way. Yes. Yeah, it's like oh yeah, he's British. There's another one actor like that. I always I'm like oh yeah, they're British. I can't until I see him like on you know Jimmy mm-hmm. Kimmel or or Jimmy Fallon or something. Like, oh yeah, they're not American. <laughs> um, but I know we've talked about before. It's expensive to do the Jean Jones Martian Manhunter CGI because it's just a TV show, so they don't do it as much. Uh, we have not seen the full on in the cow and Kate Spectre. I do think we are going to get that at some point. It might be just a brief CGI shot, but do you think we'll get that at some point? I would be disappointed if they didn't. And I figure part of the reason why some of the stuff may not have looked as good. We got that cool Superman versus Superman fight. And I'm sure that was probably one of the most expensive things to film. I, I was thinking the same thing as I'm watching. Okay. This isn't MCU Star Wars level CGI, but for a TV show, this isn't damn bad. Right. And then I was th- then as soon as I had that thought, I was like, just put him back. <laughs> mm-hmm. This had to be a big chunk of the budget, and, you know. And and to, and, and to, to to play on that, I saw in uh, Kevin Smith talking to what's her name, Cat McNamara, that plays Mia mm-hmm. uh, on one of those aftermaths about. She was talking about how it was interesting to go from each show's production crew because every show has different production crew, so they all shoot a little different, you know. And everybody has their own way of doing things. And like the biggest thing she noticed was. Those arrows are a lot of those arrows on arrow are CGI, and the ones that aren't, they're expensive. So they're very limited in how you can, how they want them to use the arrows on that show. Where Supergirl has a much bigger budget because one, it came from CBS, and two, it's just budgeted in because they're going to have more CGI on it because of her powers. When she was on the Supergirl set, they were like, why aren't you shooting more arrows? Because she's just got more. She's told not to. And they're like, no, step it up. And, and then Guggenheim went on to, to, to relate the fact that. That has been an issue from show to show. Like when I cannot remember the actor's name that plays Missa. The first time that she came on, I think it was during the, you know, the one with, with the Mirakuru and, and, you know, Deathstroke's army, which would have been season two of Arrow, mm-hmm. you know, where the League of Shadows helps Ollie take back Star City. Yeah. Uh, Katrina Law, uh, that's who, that's who plays Missa. Yeah. yeah. She is actually a really good archer in, in real life. And she in that opening scene just, just firing arrows like crazy. And Guman is like, could you slow it down a little bit? We don't have budget for that. <laughs> Because it was with the CGI, she's just pulling the string back really quick and dry firing, and they're like, "That's too many. Bring it back now." <laughs> yeah, so, and yeah, I can vouch easy. from uh, the geek cons that I have attended. She is just as pretty in real life as she is on on TV. Just putting that out there. I, I will say this: I understand they're not movie stars and movie stars. They do a really good job at finding extremely attractive people to be in these shows, don't they? Right, yeah. and, and everybody knows I'm, a, I'm 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 in love with with Emily Beck Record, and and I'm not even a blonde. Uh, uh, Candace Patton as Iris West is probably really, really close behind her. But most of the women in these shows are very tra- and the and the guys are good looking too. You know, I mean, uh, once again, refer back to the Justin Hartley. It wasn't it didn't, ta- it didn't take my girlfriend long to get over the fact that Stephen Amell was her new, was her new Oliver Queen. Let's just leave it at that. Oh, you know? I, I, I'm sure the first time he he took his shirt off. I mean that that was probably a good. Uh, I think it was. I, I think I think it was a salmon ladder scene. Yeah. Was the first <laughs> one she decided. She abs, you know <laughs> that mm. kind of thing. And she did say, because once again, I referred earlier, she likes, you know, men with salt and pepper, a little, little bit more mature men. She says, 
oh my, Brandon Routh. Ooh, <laughs> <he's> mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a clutch the pearls moment, you know, when he put on the Superman outfit. I don't know which 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 you like better, that or seeing Tom Welling again being a Superman. And am I wrong? We've brought this up before. Um, Tom Welling seems to have that disease where he stopped aging too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I he, he didn't look forty. <laughs> I mean, he looked early thirties to me, with the exception of the little bit of gray he had in his temples. Right, and and, and we've brought him up before. Robert Wool hasn't aged at all since nineteen eighty nine, has he? Uh, his, his face is a little fuller, but but yeah, he looks great for his age because he's got to be. <laughs> 60-something by now. Yeah, I'm going, has he aged at all? I mean, I know he did that show on HBO right after Batman in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, that was in the 90s, yeah. And that's the last I remember seeing him, and I'm going, he's got the Harley Race Robert Fuller thing. He hit 40 and just stopped aging. (laughs) Right. How do you do this? But anyway, I digress. (laughs) All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Crisis Infinite Earths. We're probably not going to talk much Crisis since it's not going to be around for uh, another month or so. So if uh, you're... Listening to this, wondering if we're going to talk to some other stuff besides Crisis. Uh, we got some other episodes coming up for that. So now, if I had to give this a, a, a letter grade uh, so far, I mean, I, I, again, where there's still a lot left to go, uh, I'm, I'm giving right. <laughs> it probably you know easily B plus, you know, maybe maybe A minus. I, I think I'm probably kinder to it than you are in, in in some areas, but I think overall you've been enjoying it though, right? Right, and, and once again. Uh, I tend to be a little bit more critical in my thinking than you are. And two, I'm also more of a DC guy than you are, so I'm going to bound to be more critical than you are. Um, but I would give it a solid right now. Mm, right. Uh, I I see nuggets there of it, of it definitely moving up to an A. I'll just withhold to see where they go with it. Um, but I think this – we already know that the Flareoverse is going to change drastically after this season because Arrow is ending. Right. You know? So that's going to change it. And they are – doing a show with me as character in like a birds of prey version yeah thing, yeah right? this is kind of being intended to be the the backdoor pilot yeah the that. soft pilot or, or whatever yeah they, they're going to do a show with her and uh i i think it's katie yeah. cassidy as well but i think it's still going to be in the future so they're probably going to still going to have to put mia in the future which i'm sure book of destiny they can probably do that so right. um, you know but i think that uh you know there's there's nuggets uh, you even brought one up tonight with the whole idea of the, the power ring. Keep saying we want to see this in with Diggle getting a power ring. We might get that now. You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I just don't know what Warner Brothers is going to let them, what toys they're going to let them play with, you know? Right. So I've seen it. I'll give it a B with a caveat that it's an incomplete, like you said, because we've got two more episodes. But I'd see potential there. Uh, I don't think, no matter what they do, that I'm going to drop it down to an F. By any means, you know, uh, not my favorite. I still, my favorite crossover for what it's worth, my favorite crossover that I'm, you know, uh, with the, uh, what was it? The, what, what were the aliens there? The, um, oh, the, the, the invasion, the, uh, um, yeah, yeah, not the Ravengers, that's Marvel, <laughs> right? Uh, Dominators, yeah, Dominators, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I liked that one the best so far, but all their crossovers have always been good, I thought, especially oh, yeah. what they're able to do on a limited, it's CW, this is an ABC or CBS. Right. You know, um, you're not going to get that Avengers Endgame where you have all the hundreds of er- uh, characters showing up at once. You know, right? You're, you're right. just not. Is this everybody? Right. <laughs> Do you wanted more? <laughs> you know, anyway, yeah, that's the one we're never going to get, and I hate it. But I would love to see a DC Marvel crossover in live action, but that didn't work well in the comics because it kind of. But I mean, my head might explode if we ever got that. But I don't think it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're yeah we're not gonna see anything ongoing. I think the the closest we're gonna get 
uh, was 20 years ago when we got the amalgam stuff. So, right. All right. Uh, so if we're going to power down the Geekville Radio studios here. Once again, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, where all great podcasts can be found. Geekvilleradio.com is the website as well as the social media. So drop us a line. Let us know what we're, we're doing well. If there's other stuff you want us to talk about or if you want to give us ideas about anything, especially uh, crisis or anything else in geek pop culture. So train, if people want to yell at you about your or horrible envisioning of Batman, where can they find you? I, you can please let me know how you feel. And if you're a fan of Batman killing, please let me know. I'm always available on Twitter at crazy train underscore JB. Also give me a follow on Spotify. Same handle crazy train underscore JB. I will, I have assembled, started to assemble a Christmas playlist. It's constantly being added to, uh, it's a little different than most Christmas yeah. playlists. I will get a link to Seth to put the show notes, check it out. It's, you know, a good way to get yourself. I have found myself as I'm grinding out on some video games I'm playing that I don't need to hear the soundtrack. I'll just put it on and listen to Christmas music while I kill mm-hmm. zombies on a video game. I know that seems weird, but remember I am the host of examining the dead. So it probably shouldn't shock anyone. Um, anyway. Oh, and warning, if you do listen to that playlist, there are a couple of um, blue songs on it. So it, it, it gets the explicit tag. I can't put that on there on, on Spotify, but it does. There are some songs. Not for worker kids. I'll leave it at that. All right. <laughs> all right. We will talk to you folks later in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, A1-Wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. One thing I definitely can say, and it was in one of the trailers out there, but where Monitor says it's time, is the planet evacuated? Not yet. Then it's not time. I mean, you know, looking <laughs> a godlike character in the eye and saying, basically saying, screw you, that is so Oliver Queen. Yes.